So uh, we're in Titus, and uh, I thought it might be good. We're going to start uh, to today in verse 7, but let's go ahead and read verses 5 through 9, and I'll go ahead and take uh, take that responsibility. Okay, Bible's up in the Titus 1, 5. Okay, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. As a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or subordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not ready, uh, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, that's New King James. Other versions are quite a bit different. Uh, but, you know, kind of summarizing, J.D. ended the, the session last week by saying, it's not these qualifications for the elder the same, but as they are for all believers. So what, what's your thought about that before we get going in, in verse uh, 7 here today? more detail. Is this not what we're all called to? Okay, so some someone turned again to first Corinthians one eight. And read it whoever gets it first. Yeah, without reproach, blameless, the same kind of Word is used that's used in First Corinthians one eight. Donna, you got it. You shall also, you shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's the difference here between what's written by Paul in First Corinthians one eight and what's written here about the elder or bishop? Or I mean, bishop's more of an overseer. The elder implies maturity and age. What's the difference in interpretation? I think it's just time. Okay, time, and what else, Mike? Both. What what else besides time? I mean, that's the day of glory is when we're glorified, right? Yeah. I mean, the day of the Lord is our glorification, and there we're looked at as blameless. We were remember, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That's true of all of us. But what's different about the same Greek word used here versus the qualifications for an elder? Well, Macaulay points this out. It's relative. <laughs> and if it's relative, how does one judge these characteristics? Who's going to judge, who's going to judge these? Now, in, in the times of, of Paul's epistle to Titus, Titus has been appointed to do this. But we talked about this last week. We, we don't, in mainline Bible-based churches, we don't have bishops <laughs> who oversee all this kind of stuff. All this, if you will, incredible governmental administrative oversight that Paul gave to Titus and uh, to Timothy. So so it's relative. So if it's relative, who makes those decisions? So, Courtney, I'm thinking about you. You said when there's questions here, but we always add additional ones. So that's that's what I'm adding here today before we continue in the verses, verse by verse. Say the question again. 
the question is who who judges these qualifications on a relative basis to determine whether Courtney or Bob or whomever else is qualified to be an elder? I think, I think the existing elders at church would be the ones who would do the qualifications within the body, but then ultimately the body accepts the elder. Well, that's been true with the history of this church. Yeah, not, well, but that, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, well, in, in Titus's time, he was, he was given right. charge by Paul to go out and choose these and, and set up the church. But once it's set up, then I think it's, it's through the elders themselves select your, I mean, and again, it's, it, the elders, it's a calling. It's not that you seek really that position. It's almost you're led by the Lord to, to be in that position. And then the body recognizes that. But I, I think ultimately it's the elders at the, the existing body that, that determines this. So it's, it's two different time frames. Titus's time and Crete versus what we have today and what is usually not. Right. We have no Titus today. Yeah. We, right, right. I guess that's the point. I, I guess I'm, this, we're going to end this discussion right here because this could go on for quite a while. But in a new church that's being formed, how are the elders chosen? Do we have scripture guidance as to how that should occur? Cheryl, what are your thoughts? What? The, Lord himself, yeah, the Lord himself? I mean, the Lord himself. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if no, nobody else is, who what? would be qualified in the church if they were just starting? Okay. Yeah, Mike. By a new church being formed with one that where some guys got together and said we ought to start a church and mm-hmm. you, you can be, we think that you should be one of the teachers and you should be this and you should be that because they have a history. Okay. I, what's interesting about this is that uh, there are these churches that, that are being started and created have very little track record in terms of the, those that are attending. And uh, how do you, how do you decide I think what Paul is doing is laying out qualifications mm-hmm. of the kind of man you're looking for that, that maybe the Lord has raised him up. But it's interesting today, I think we've supplanted most of these qualifications with the seminary degrees. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yes, is that right or is that wrong? I think I, these apply. Yeah, I mean, here are the qualifications. This We're going to review it, them right in here. detail, but right. So, and I think I think a lot of times that we, as a body of believers, sometimes put too much emphasis on the initials after a guy's name. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they, these these qualifications supersede anything else. I think so. Uh, there's, you know, you can't if you come up with something else, you're adding to it. But and so that's why I think. You know, this, this is the qualification. This, this is what you're supposed to meet. You know, these qualifications. But, but keep in mind again, they're being judged on a relative basis. Yeah. This positional truth about being, you know, without condemnation as we approach glorification. I mean, this, that's the same Greek term as used here, mm-hmm. but it has to be on a relative basis. I think any of these attributes are, if you will, negative aspects of this position really can't be very evident in someone who's appointed to this position. Yeah. Even, I mean, we can't go into everybody's heart and their thoughts and their mind, but the, the idea is this life 
that a believer is leading is ultimately needing to be viewed in these capacities. I think. When I, I think it goes somewhat back to what Mike was saying too: is time. You know, lay your hands on no one quickly mm-hmm. or whatever okay. in the qualification of an elder. It's got to be a demonstrated life that comes close to these qualifications right. as much as possible. Okay. All right, I think we're on the same page. Let's go now to verse 6, and we're talking about the first aspect, uh, if or since a man is blameless. So this is blameless is what we're talking about here. But the second qualification, and we talked about the second one last week too, the husband of one wife is a, a one-wife man, and that doesn't relate to, you know, a single man could be an elder. <laughs> you know, it could be someone who's divorced, but currently he's had one wife. It's a one-wife husband, if you will. That we've, I think, answered that. Any additional thoughts about that before we go ahead? Now, this gets a little bit more fun. I mean, not that that's not fun. <laughs> okay, so the, the third attribute is having faithful children. And they're described further as not accused of dissipation or insubordination. What are other translations there for that verse? Having faithful children, or do, is that what most other versions read? It says not accused of riot or unruly. Yeah, that's why I've accused of riot. Mm-hmm. Having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Okay, so, so those are kind of the things we're talking about here. What do you, why do, let me pause. Do these children have to be believers? It says faithful. Does anybody else have in their version that they need to be saved? Well, it's a, you know, it's a, in my in the New American having children who believe. What does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to discuss here. Yeah, <laughs> that's the topic before us. Yeah. So, uh, I was going to look up what that word is. Here. It says faithful, right, Brian. And Macaulay says they're believers. Uh, and I think of, of a certain age, yes. <laughs> but does faithful to some extent describe the, the negatives that follow them not accused of rioting or insubordination? The idea there is that they need to be obedient. And submissive. What are your thoughts? I mean, what if an elder, an appointed elder has children that are four and two? I mean, is that any item that comes up in the discussion of who should serve as an elder? The first Timothy, or second, uh, first Timothy verse says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Uh, that states it more clearly, doesn't it, Joanne? Yeah. I think that's that's quite good. Um, in Ephesians five, the the only admonition for children is that they obey their parents. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. All right, we all know what a challenge that is at every stage of growth yeah. and development, don't we? Okay. I do think you see, though. Um, how do I say this? I think you do see in the. Um, um, a man and a woman, a man who's qualified to be an elder before he's an elder. One of the things you look at is his family and how that family, uh, the cohesion and the structure and the uh, viewpoint and attitude of the children tell you a lot. So wh- why is that important, Mike? Why do you think that's important? 
uh, several reasons. One, it shows that they're leaders, the parents are leaders. Two, that they have educated their kids. Three, they weren't afraid to discipline them. Uh, and they loved them. Okay, and how does that relate to the position oh. of an elder? Well, as a shepherd to his sheep. Okay. You know. Remember, one of the interpretations of this Greek term for, for overseer is shepherd. Sure. Okay. So um, it, there's a sense of responsibility by the shepherd. Okay, so a guy with unruly children or have a history of that in their household, we're now trusting him to oversee the, the body of believers, right? Yeah. So I think that's the extension of looking at the family in terms of how that's being operated. Yeah, time. I agree. Okay. Now, you could look at this in a somewhat different way. I mean, I came out of a very legal church, and the reason we went there was to get our kids in that school system. But all that aside, uh, you know, you could have kids really performing under law extremely well, but down deep, <laughs> they're as rebellious as can be. But, you, you know, yeah. so and you can't really, what I'm saying, you're judging all these attributes of an elder on relative basis. You, you can't get into every last detail of how that home is operating. Well, the second one is that they they must not be guilty of dissipation, which is a word meaning incorrigible or really accused of rioting. What I mean, Think about how, what's the practical interpretation of that? What's this kind of child then? Troublemaker. Yeah, let's turn to um, a First Peter four four. That maybe gives us a little bit more of a hint of what this looks like. <laughs> and again, whoever gets that, go ahead and read. They think it's all. The, go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, they think it's uh, strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Yeah, so that's kind of the example of what this kind of behavior might look like. And the the third is they may not be rebellious, and I think the first Peter 4 verse probably fits with that too. And, and Titus, if you jump, jump down to verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So remember, the, the audience is Jewish here. These are Jewish believers. So the idea there is it goes beyond simply um, being incorrigible or, you know, ultimately tending to riot, but also this relates, I think, to disobedient. So, you know, not being submissive to the parents' rule, Mike. You know, in Second uh, uh, Timothy three, in Paul describing what, what uh, people are going to be like, very close to the end of the age, he says, "For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, etc., etc., etc." That description is would fit like a, a teenage son or daughter who is out of out of control. An interesting question there follows that comment is that does the Lord say anything in Scripture about raising adolescents or teenagers? <laughs> 
We've all been through it, those old parents. <laughs> what was different then, perhaps, than it is today, and is this whole teenage experience, one of which really uh, is needing to be described in any more detail. I'm at an elder's qualifications now. I don't want to get too far astray, but in terms of judging a potential elder's ability to oversee his home with, with children. Well, I don't think the Lord gives us specific instructions about raising teenagers, does he? So why is that such a difficult task? And everybody say, oh, you know, she's 13 now or he's 15. Yeah. I mean, Things change. There's no question about that. Sure. But I think there's some guidance on kids, you know, disciplining them and okay. different things. It isn't just you're, you're totally out to lunch and have no, no guidance. I mean, I think scripture says about, you know, don't, fathers don't make your, or aggravate your kids or whatever. And there, there are certain guidelines for raising kids, you know, and don't spare the rod if you're, you know, there's a whole bunch of different criteria. So it's not just, it's free for all and we don't know what to do. And then it, then it falls back on for the qualification of an elder that you do that well. So you're, you're managing your household. So JD, thinking a little bit about you still kind of having a lot of parenting left to do. <laughs> um, you, you know, having raised five kids, I think a principle that, that Sharon and I learned for a while. And then of course with Margaret more recently is that, you know, there's a transition from law to grace. And for each child, that, and Courtney, you can reflect on this other who have parent, or parented multiple children, there's a different time for each kid when that law to grace transition occurs. And that relates to a lot of factors, uh, you know, environmental genetics, friends, school systems, and all that kind of thing. But that, that's the transition of being a good parent, I think, you need to understand. And I think that's particularly true during adolescence. Not that we did it well perfectly I mean no question we had so many children because we had so many lessons to learn that was <laughs> what Sharon and I would say but but anyway I think this whole issue of the you know the question to the class is can it, can it have kids that are out of control and the answer is no right yeah. I mean that's the answer here but how do we judge that and again this relative basis of judging this you know Think of our elders, Roger and Mike, but we look at their kids, they seem to be doing well. I mean, I can't go back and judge that, but the decision made by Ben, Hal, and Vern, I guess, <laughs> related, it's related to looking at their, their household and how they were ultimately carrying out their responsibilities as parents. Not that your kids don't have tr- problems, because no. they do, you know. Well, sure. Um, but the, what's interesting is, is I think that as they as they grow older, they get more uh, pressure from the world, and and because of that, uh, they're now faced with situations in their life they that mom and dad really can't take care of. They're going to have to turn to the Lord about them. Okay, Mike, this is good because it opens up the store for another quick question for us to comment on. Are these children who remain in the home, do you think? Or does this relate to kids who've left the home now? No, I think remain in the home. And what makes you think that? Uh, because once they go out the door, your authority uh, isn't there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they, their behavior patterns can be 
you know, not at all the way they were raised for a while anyway. I don't, I don't think, um, you know, we, we look at adult, adult believers and some of the stuff that uh, they do, you think, well, you know, the source of that is sin. There's no question about it. And they're, they've been, uh, they're slaves to sin, even though they might be believers for a while. But what's interesting is, is that I think there's a, well, maybe I ask, do it in the form of a question. Do you think there's a time with children that you're struggling with, whether they're in the home or not, where the parent says, you know, Lord, I'm, you know, I don't know what to do here. Hmm. I'm gonna give, <laughs> I'm gonna give them to you. You're gonna have to deal with them and you. As it comes to that, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think it does with yeah, some does. kids. You know. I think it must mean the ones who had made it home. I, okay. Because in this uh, first Timothy, when following the verse that I read before, it goes on to say, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, right. how will he take care of the church of God? Right. Sounds like they're at home. Perfect. I think that really relates very directly to this, John. Thank you. Yes. Yes, John. Um, I'm struck by um, the two different sources you can come at, to these verses through. If you come through it through grace, uh, in submission to the Lord, understanding your position, where you end up, versus legally. If you're under the law, coming out of Adam, you can still, mm-hmm. I mean, you get that Sunday person, right, who behaves a certain way on Sunday, because that's what we do. And that's all you see. Uh-huh. In terms of the decision making that relates to appointing an elder, all you see is what you see on Sunday. Unless there's something that happens outside that that is made apparent to you. So, well, I think that's part when you're evaluating an elder, you don't just see the Sunday, you see seven days a week, you know, what kind of household they have. And, you know, if, if you're just evaluating somebody on a Sunday, I don't know if I would elect them as an, or not elect them, but feel comfortable as an elder if I don't know Anything more about them? But here again, are you a Sunday person that's doing the evaluating? Well, I think the body is ultimately the one who makes the decision. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's, it's not just me. It's the body that would do it. But if they're untaught in the doctrine and they're legal, here again, it's, it's this relative we have a tuna, I mean, evaluation. You, well, you, you'd evaluate that in, in being the elder if they're legal, if they're anything like it. That's your evaluation of, of the being an elder would be, are they legal? Are they, you know, well, I mean, it's almost what for an elder here, don't you answer like 80 questions and, you know, you know, kind of get a, a basis for who they are on, are they legal? Are they grace based? And that isn't, isn't that. Mike, didn't you go through that, the 80 questions or something? So it's 70 something. Yeah, 75. whatever. 75. So I, th- I think, yeah, yeah Don, I, well, it's not just me. I think it's the body finally recognized the way I would, through the brethren, it was always they recognized an elder that, you know, that they looked at these qualifications. They, they know the body. That's another thing. Well, that, I, that an elder has to know the body. The body it, needs to know the elder. No, no, and I think this raises a very another important uh, scriptural uh, doctrine is fellowship, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about appointing somebody an elder, you've got to get to know them. Yes. And that's fellowshipping in Bible studies, not only on Sundays, but 
getting to know them even socially at times to see right. how they respond there, Mike? You know, the other limitation I think it puts on a church, a local body of believers, is the size of the church. Yeah, we're tucked in here. Yeah. <laughs> everybody you know, knows I mean, everybody. I, I, you know, I <laughs> you can't get away with anything around you. <laughs> I look at a church that's in the hundreds or even thousands. Oh. Uh, if you're a, what do you do if you're appointed an elder and they've got 10 elders or 20 of them or 30 of them? I mean. Do you think there are churches like Holly Hills that have a thousand or 10,000 members? I mean, it's not that we, we don't ever want to think of ourselves as elitist. That, no. that's really a very no. human experience right. no. and not the way God looks at us. What our goal here is to rightly divide the word of truth. Isn't that the, the goal for all of us? Really understanding scripture and how to apply it. And so I'm not saying those kinds of churches can't exist, but I mean the, the idea of 10 elders with 5,000 people is just beyond our imagination. Well, but there are churches that are that big, right? We know. I, I think if, if, if understanding doctrine uh, is important for eldership, and uh, you're by definition, you're not going to have a big church. I remember talking a couple of years ago to Dennis Roxer, who was a pastor right. of Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to him about that we were looking for. He said, I know 25 churches right now that could use a pastor. <laughs> and this is a guy who teaches the truth, who networks really well through dispensational, you know, position, condition, grace based churches. 25, lacking 25 pastors, let alone, you know, can't find the people to do it. So, you you know, I think some local ones, you know, what what is the perfect size? I don't think you can say there's a perfect size. You know, there there isn't a scriptural that says that when you hit 500, you you know, you're out of here. But there are, I mean, there's local brethren churches that know that 300 have elders that are very, you know, attached and know. The body, when they got so large, they split, basically had a church plan sure. with some of those. When they got to the point where they thought they couldn't handle the numbers, they basically took some that were qualified, you know, from they knew who they were, they were qualified, and they set up a, a church and a, a second brethren church in the area that had the elders that had been known by the body, several, and then they started to grow. So I think that's. Mm-hmm. It, there's no perfect size, but I think there's, I think you recognize that there is a limit where you, as an elder, you just can't know the body. And as an elder, you need to know was, the body. I was thinking, I, I totally agree, Courtney. Sorry, Bob, I was just going to add a thought there. Um, talking to Miles, Juju, uh, a little bit about this. Um, this is a shepherding role, right? Like, so the question is like, how many sheep can you manage? You know, at what point does your, you know, can you know, and there's, there's two, there's two goals to, to shepherding. Miles talks about first is to feed them, keep them alive, and then to keep them from killing themselves. Um, because that's what sheep do. They, they find their ways into complete and total, you know, end of life scenarios. And so the idea here is like, can you feed, can you feed these sheep and you, can you keep them alive? You know? And and that relates metaphorically to obviously feeding the body with the word of God. When you've got a situation of a, a large group where you're not able to shepherd and feed those sheep, 
um, you're, you're looking at a situation where you potentially reach the, the maximum of what that particular group of elders can, can manage. Okay. okay. Some good at size and how that impacts these yeah. decisions. Okay. Let's go ahead into verse seven now in, 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 in succinct detail. So verse seven says for a bishop or overseer or shepherd or they must be blameless, which is kind of what we talked about. And that's blameless again is not absolute in terms of the day of, you know, the Lord's day of glory, <laughs> but in fact now blameless in terms of perception and ultimately, uh, overall relative basis of being beyond reproach as a steward of God. And of course it, it would suggest that this man is ultimately a steward of God, is it not? I mean, he's not here to please the body. He's here to answer to the Lord directly in terms of his leadership responsibilities. But now, interestingly enough, we've got a, a series of negatives. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting here at the beginning of this verse, what's the verb tense? Uh, what's the verb, first of all, and what's the tense? As a bishop, what's next? Must. Is that, <laughs> is everybody a must in their own translation? Yeah. A bishop must be blameless as a steward. I presume the must relates to the things that follow that. Yeah. Now the other example of must being used in a very strong sense, what did Christ say to Nicodemus? Must be born you again. You must be born again. <laughs> it, it's pretty firm. So these qualifications here, a positive one in terms of being blameless as a steward of God, is followed by a series of negatives. And I think an interesting thing here, all of these terms that follow are one word in the Greek. And that's true of the next verse in terms of the many aspects of the leadership position as an elder are in the positive, not the negative. All right, so let's let's go ahead and drill down. Number one, not self-willed. How do we interpret that? Would you say arrogant? I think arrogant could fit. Okay. Care about others. I'm sorry? You care about other other people in the church? Well, I think that's an implication of not being self-willed. I mean, you're more concerned about others. What's one of the most important aspects of a true leader, pastor, bishop, whatever we want to call this individual overseer, about his relationship to the body? And as a, as a physician, I relate to this. My ability of a physician is to, to be a good physician. We'll look at that as in relative terms, too, <laughs> is to do one thing, and that's to what? What does an elder need to do in terms of the body? Look out for the flock. Okay. Well, J.D. mentioned shepherding, but to begin with, they have to listen, don't they? I mean... Mm. As a doc, if I don't hear what my patient says, I may have a perceptions or biases to what I think is going on in that patient, but if I can't listen to their complaints, and even though their complaints don't think make me think of what they really have, I need to listen to those. I mean, so I think this, this not being self-willed is not, you know, taking a position, I know the answer, before you're listening to what a member of the body is bringing to you is an issue. Your thoughts about that? Classic thoughts. I think self-willed is looking after yourself. It's it versus Christ-centered. Christ-centered. You know, are you are you Christ-centered or self-centered? Is the way I look. Self-willed 
because I'm looking out for myself or looking out for profit mm-hmm. with this position or or whatever. It's, it's looking at selfish ambitions, desires, okay. whatever. Instead, you have to be Christ-centered and, and shepherd. You're looking out for them more than yourself. I was thinking since, well, my version says not overbearing, but that same word, but I was thinking since elders are always in the plural, that um, being self-willed doesn't really work in a plurality of, of elders. You need to be, you know, give and take and listen to the okay. others. It can't always be one guy dominating over all the other elders. And I think that's a role that would clearly be led by the flesh, would it not be? Second Peter 2.10, let's take a look at that as a parallel verse here. Second Peter 2.10, Second And this is describing, ultimately, a behavior that relates to what will follow in verse 10, which is not part of this section and series of questions. But somebody read Second Peter 2.10. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Hmm. And what what's the downside of that? Does the verse describe that? Well, my version goes on to say, bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial duties. So maybe, were you looking for the bold and arrogant part? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So that is another use of that same Greek term in terms of the self-willed or arrogant individual who is not in a position to have a shepherding role or an overseeing role. One of the the things you see there uh, is that uh, the elder must recognize that he's a servant of the Lord, that it's the Lord's church, not his. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, as a servant, his attitude has got, has got to be he's serving the Lord, and he's also serving the people. And so, he, even though he's the shepherd, <laughs> like you were saying, he lives in you. Um, I think, how can you properly pray for somebody if you don't listen to them? Right, and I think in the old nature, the sin nature, ultimately if this person is arrogant or not a good listener, then he's biased in terms of how one would interpret that. I mean, it reminds me of our brother Hal, who used to, you know, you go to him with a problem, he said, that's wonderful that you're experiencing this problem. And, you know, you know it, so it, it just is the having, he listens, he knows your problem, but the issue is he brings kind of spiritual insight and to shepherding uh-huh. believers to bring them along the path of grace. So, and a hungry heart's rich with that kind of yeah, it is. kind of attitude. Okay, we're going to look at one more negative today. I think time doesn't maybe permit too much more than that. The second attribute, or negative, if you will, or not attribute, if you will, is not quick-tempered. What about that? Does does someone have to display an atmosphere of anger or? being short-fused in a situation where they're, it's perfectly evident? Or, in fact, can we sometimes read other people that they're kind of right on the edge and inclined to behave this way? I mean, that's pretty subjective. I yeah. mean, the problem with subjective interpretation is that you may be biased in terms of interpreting in that way. But what, what are your thoughts about this inclination to anger or being so short-tempered, quick-tempered? Why would that be a... Yeah. A big negative. J.D., go ahead. 
Yeah, I think it, it goes to what you mentioned about the shepherd being a listener, right? <clears throat> this would have this, uh, the shepherd responding and with quick tempered, um, and we know consistently throughout scripture, especially Proverbs, that those quick tempers lead to foolishness, right? They lead to, to strife and, uh, angst amongst the, you know, the, in this case, the elder and the body. Um, so it's a, it is a mental sin that it's easy to get into because when you're self-willed, and I think this is why they're tied together. Right, good. You're self-important, you know, then you're operating, uh, with this idea that what you have to say is less important than what I believe. And that naturally leads and connects with the sin of responding to what I don't believe or what is what you're saying as uh, I like it, you know, and um, I, I've got a, my, my tipper is quick. I'm not able to patiently listen and understand uh, and I can't recover from it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm angry. So foolishness is the environment that 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 creates. And that's not a place for the shepherd in the body. All right. Let's as we're looking at these. Go ahead. I was going to add, which verses come to mind when I think about this in uh, James, the practical book of James, in verse 19. This you know, my brother, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Boy, that's beautiful. That's James 2? 119. 119. Okay, that's worth noting down. I'm going to put it down, too. Yeah, James. Yeah. That's what I said. That's what, that's what my, that's, my name is on the book. That's a perfect verse. Uh, Jay, about that self now I see why JD's not an elder. <laughs> He's arrogant. Yeah. I just, <laughs> uh huh. I, I go to a couple more verses. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, let's go circumstantially to say that a, a man being considered for an elder position it was shown to lose his temper under one circumstance. I mean, no, Courtney, you're shaking your head. No, this is a pattern. You yeah. Know, you can't, yeah. all of these qualifications, if, if you exactly. go to every one of these, even though it says must, it, it, it's very intimidating for being an elder to look at these qualifications because is that at must, it's like, wow. And I think it's the, the pattern they're looking on a pattern. Is he always angry? Is he always, you know, or is kids always, you know, out of control? Or is it, you know, the, these are kind of patterns of behavior or okay, conditions good. rather than a one-time event. You know, if our kids went crazy at, you know, in Sunday school and did something, that doesn't disqualify me as an elder. But if they're constantly doing something or you're constantly angered or you're, you know, looking after yourself. These are patterns that you look at. Otherwise, I don't, I don't think anybody can meet these qualifications on an absolute basis. Remember, this is a relative judgment of the believer's life overall. And one loss of, of uh, one quicker tempered response to an issue does not necessarily preclude it. Mike? I think there's also a, a, a factor here, and that is when a person becomes a believer, he's coming out of whatever he was in Adam, whatever the self was, which is self-absorbed. and He could have a bad temper. He could have every one of these things. But now that he's a believer and he begin, the Spirit of God begins to work on him, he realizes every one of those, not only individually, but the source of these things 
Okay. That God has taken care of him, and he learns to live by faith and trust God to begin to manifest the life of the Lord Jesus through him, knowing that that's who he was, but that's not who he is. Now, I don't know if the body figures it out or not, but he, he, he becomes more and more eligible to say it. What would be the expected response of someone being considered for this position who has just lost his temper and being judged you know, negatively based on that? What would be the position of that man under those circumstances? Well, if it was a one-time lose-your-temper... Russ, go ahead. I'm, I was going to say, just, just a very quick repentance of, wow, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, okay. That's what I'm looking for, forgiveness. And yeah. Forgiveness, of course, is directly to the Lord, but to the individuals who have experienced this quick-temperedness. Right. I mean, I think sometimes we, I mean, I, I think even as I'm working in a Gentile Jewish world for much of my career, when I offended somebody and I realized it, I asked them to forgive me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, because people think if you make a mistake and you're a believer, Christianity's worthless, Right. I mean, they're looking at you as if you're polished glass and unbreakable. And when we fall short, we need to recognize that. So this man who's a candidate for an elder's position, he needs to recognize he's offended somebody by his temper and ask for forgiveness. I think Mike brought up a good point that we shouldn't gloss over. Before you're a believer, none of that is counted against you. I mean, before you're a believer, Correct. whatever your life was, if you were an alcoholic, if you were whatever, you were mean, you were crazy, you were whatever, and you, you, you come to know the Lord, that, as Mike says, you grow and you see, you know, as you grow out of that, you can't be judged on what you were before you were a believer. Okay. That can't fall into the qualifications. It's after you're a believer and how the Lord is working in your life after you've come to know the Lord. I can't, you know, I, I, whatever, you know, Mike, Mike may have, you know, stolen cars when he was a kid. I don't know. When he, before he's a believer. I'll tell you some other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, I'm not going to judge him on before he was a believer. You know, if he did okay. something more, you know. That's it, all important. It, it, it's not, it's not prior to knowing the Lord. It is that, that slate is well, clean once you become a believer. Then you're, you're recognized based mm-hmm. on your, Behavior, the meeting these qualifications after you're a believer. Okay, good. Well, I, I have a question about that. Yeah, go, JD. Oh, we're way after time. We're way after time. Sorry, I just realized. That. No, no, go ahead. Um, we can add after your comment. I, I was just going to say, like, so for me, I became a believer when I was 12 years old. So then the question is, you, you, for the, these qualifications, before 12, um, you know. It would make sense that I was anger and angry and self-willed, etc. But at the age of twelve, when I when I did uh, become a believer and I understood the gospel, from that point forward, I'm I could be judged for these qualifications as I grow up into manhood and become a potential elder candidate, right? So, based on what Courtney said, I I, I have some questions about that. Um, not personally, but just is it from the point that they become a believer? Or is it the point that they begin to mature into their faith um, and start to, at some point during their, their believing life, they do qualify for these things? Or is it just, sure. is, it, is it hard case 
no. the point of belief. So, Danny, that's not what I'm saying. It's kind of what Mike said. It's your growth after. Okay. You know, you, sure. you, can, you can spend uh, 20 years not growing, and then yes, that's where that's where I was getting at. Okay. I yeah. No, it, it, not that. Not that you have. Yeah, that you started at 12, or you know, Ingrid who had a younger even. You're not. It, it's your progression and your spiritual maturity that you're you're looking at. That a new believer, yeah. some some believers, you know, it could be twenty years and not not growing. I, you know, myself, you know, and, until mm-hmm. finding a lot of the identification truths and things like that. I think a lot of growth happened after that. So, you know, I, I, you know, it's more it's more looking at the progression and where you're at. Yeah. All right. That's good. what I thought. My bad. I just didn't no. understand. <laughs> Probably unclear. Uh, I, I need to read your book no. again. So. Uh, I'm not sure who's teaching this week, but he will begin with his, uh, in, you know, in my text, there's not given to wine. So, uh, we'll be me. Yeah. Uh, JD, you're, you're going to pick it up at negative number three here. <laughs> negative number three. Okay. So good. It's been a great discussion. Thanks everybody. So Courtney, would you close us in prayer, please? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you again for this time. We thank you again for your word and, and more importantly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which gives us guidance mm-hmm. and conviction of your word. So we just, uh, we thank you again just for, uh, all these things that, uh, point out for qualifications for an elder and, uh, uh, again, just, uh, looking at who we are in Christ. And, uh, again, we just, uh, pray for Mike in the, uh, next hour as he gives the word, just for our, prepare our hearts to receive it. And again, all that we say and do this day, we pray that we'll honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.